to the sun welcomes you to another fine fantastic fun episode here uh together we're excited to be here and uh want to do some introductions and then do all the rob i'm gonna let you do the whole hey subscribe to us thing but i'm john and i'm a pastor i'm one part of the brotherly duo and this is my fine brother yeah, I'm Rob Gibson, licensed psychologist, hailing from Denver, Colorado, and uh, we we engage with matters of the head and the heart. So you have found us here on the interwebs, whether that's through a podcast or on Facebook or something, and we're so glad that you took some time to listen to us. And so while you're doing that, we would ask that you subscribe and engage with us on socials as we post these. We post uh, clips, and you're welcome to send us contact and from like information online about what you think of it or questions you have. Now we'd love to engage with you. I haven't, you know, we have multiple people that will reach out to us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, messenger, things like that um, to uh, engage with us around our material. And so we'd love for you to do that. Subscribe, uh, like it. Uh, so we did have a bit of a false start last podcast, uh, just, you know, to, I'll take ownership for the record a little bit. But, <laughs> so we are our, our fledgling video, uh, fledgling. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we we are making progress but we're definitely back on audio again um until we get some uh some things ironed out but we we are working on getting it uh live and video as soon as possible um but until then we're we're on audio here today yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's really a, a passion of my heart. And I know my brother's heart as well. The reason we do these podcasts is because, number one, we love to talk together. We're interested uh, in these topics of head and heart and our professions that we live in each and every day. We're also interested in finding uh, and talking about things that are valuable to you as a listener, things that maybe are helpful to your everyday life and what you got going on in life and faith yeah. and uh, yeah. just mental well, yeah. health and wellness, all that good stuff. We love. Yeah. Especially about there's been a long standing kind of bifurcation or split between issues of mental health and the church. And there's been a variety of reasons on, for that on the church side, as well as uh, secular psychology. Um, but we aim to, to engage with them together because we know that whether you're in the church or you're in the therapy room, the head and the heart goes with you, your spirituality, your emotions, your thinking, your living, uh, we 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 go together, and so we like to talk about them together to see uh, to see what could be useful there for you and for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one of those things that I think has been really helpful outside of the podcast, actually, Robbie, is and I plugged this a little bit on our last conversation, but these life shorts that you have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I want to say thank you. It's really awesome yeah. to kind of get little snippets of really helpful information from the counseling room uh, that. You know, most time folks, I I think there's a little bit of hesitation for for a lot of people to enter into that counseling relationship because it, for whatever reason, whether they they feel like there's a stigma attached to it or they're just nervous talking to someone that they don't know, uh, entering into that helpful space of counseling can be a little intimidating, I found, from some people, especially as a pastor. I'll, I'll talk to folks a lot of times. And I sometimes feel like I'm, I'm the entry point into counseling conversations as a pastor that mm-hmm. sometimes I help, I, I help lead people into, okay, maybe, maybe you do want to talk to someone who's professionally trained in, in 
mediation and counseling and psychology uh, that would be a helpful addition to not only to just talking to a pastor, but but these life shorts you've done. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, jump onto Facebook, uh, also facebook.com backslash elivinghope. Living Hope is the church that I pastor in. And we've, uh, Rob has helped us with these, we call them life shorts, and we're going to do a them about a whole range of topics. But right now we're focusing on this issue of mental wellness at, at Living Hope. And Rob, it's been so great having you just touch on little topics about like anxiety and depression and uh, being uh, open and honest, authentic about what you got going on in life. You talked about authenticity in this last one, and they've mm-hmm. been so helpful. I encourage you, listener, go check them out. They're like three minutes long. They take very little of your life mm-hmm. away from you to just mm-hmm engage with a really helpful, practical uh, advice that Rob gives. But so I've been getting my brain kind of in this thinking as I'm working on uh, messages to give on Sunday morning. This coming Sunday uh, is we're two weeks now out from Easter and we're talking about um, we're doing like a little character study on Mary uh, of uh, Bethany um, or Mary uh, Magdala which there's a lot of scholarship around those things, whether they're two different people or the same, whatever. The character study on Mary and Judas, it's from this passage in John chapter 12, the Gospel of John. And we have this Mary's doing this thing where she's anointing Jesus' feet with oil, uh, this extravagant outpouring of love. And then we have Judas saying, what the heck are you doing? That oil's expensive. We could sell it and give it to Uh people. But the scripture exposes the reality of Judas's heart, which is really just to steal and... Mm-hmm. take that money for himself. And so we we have these two pictures of people who have had direct encounter with Jesus and have two different um, experiences, right? So Mary has this mm-hmm. extravagant outpouring, whereas Judas really is this fake um, kind of artificial expression of faith, but really underneath the surface. Yeah. He's like a totally this moral outrage. Person. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they both have contact with Jesus, but yet both, kind of display these different realities of their character. They've been cha- they've been transformed yeah. or one has been transformed. The other, you can make the argument hasn't, they're still who they were pre Jesus or pre encounter with him. So it, or they're maybe, the, maybe more fully who they were pre Jesus. Maybe, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. So where I like kind of, just, yeah been thinking a lot. And what I want to hear from you about Rob is I've been thinking about this topic of identity Mm-hmm. So what, who are we as people, what things in our lives, because we know that life and experience and trauma and good and all those things that we live through form us, they shape who we are, but also from a faith perspective, we encounter in a Christian faith, we encounter this God who says we are altogether something different than what our life shapes us as. And, and really the engagement of Jesus reveals an identity that exists pre-life experience. Uh, and that's kind of what we're talking a bit on Sunday, but I'm just interested in this identity conversation. Mm-hmm. What, w- what tells us who we are? How do, how does that work in our minds? How does it, how do we get formed when we're kids? I'd like to just maybe kind of riff off that identity topic. What right. do you think about identity? Let's just have some convo about it. Oh man, we could go lots of places, but I'll tell you where I'm thinking first. Um, Actually, a story came to mind when you first shared that about um, it's kind of an amalgamation of stories of lots of people that I've worked with where, you know, somebody is growing up as a kid and in school and is struggling. Okay, they're struggling to perform 
and they're getting feedback from teachers and parents um, that begins to set a narrative like maybe you're just not that smart. Um, and, uh, so that becomes a central theme of their story. And so they, you know, perhaps, you know, quit trying at school, which further confirms the narrative of their identity. But then, you know, they come across someone or some sort of experience that enlightens them about the truth, right? Um, which is, oh, I had dyslexia my entire childhood and I didn't know it. Um, and actually I'm really smart, um, I'm like whip smart. Uh, just I have a difficult time with reading, um, you know, something like that, where where some sort of transformational experience enlightens them to something that's more true about them that then challenges them to shift the narrative about who they are, identity. Right. And when I think about that, I think about th there's a. I think there's a reason that we do that with, with each other as we're developing. We're giving each other feedback regularly about who we are because it helps us know what the truth is about ourselves, right? So, you know, think, you know, you know, the person who's good at, I don't know, athletics or the person who's good at school, um, people begin to differentiate themselves based off of how they're performing and the feedback they get from the world filters into an, a narrative about who they are. Like I am smart or I am musical or creative or I am, um, I am a loner or I am a failure, right? Like we, we generate these stories that help us deal with the truth of what's happening. Now, the challenge is, is like I said, you know, we, we might develop an identity or narrative around something that's actually not fully true. Um, and, and that, I mean, those narratives stay with us. I mean, the listener, if you think about the narratives of your identity that carry with you, um, I mean, uh, you know, words like, you know, statements like I am weak or, I am uh, needy or I am overwhelming. Um, I am broken. Um, I am shy. Um, you know, th these different narratives that we have, uh, they, they carry some truth and maybe carry some falsehood, but I think they're about helping us deal with the world around us so that we can know how to bring ourselves to bear on the world around us. Because if I know, I'll end with this. If I know that I'm, uh, say I know that I'm uh, good with my hands. That's something about me. I'm handy. Well, then that actually helps me know a direction to go and not to go. So I may not go into, uh, you know, academic sociology, philosophy. I may go into a, you know, a, a practical career where I can really excel. Maybe become, you know, an elevator technician and make lots of money doing that because I'm good with my hands. Whereas I might have failed in upper division philosophy classes, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I can see how that's helpful to to understand how you who you are and identity is such a complex thing because it's not just mm -hmm. this tactile reality, right? right? I'm like you kind of mentioned, I'm good with my hands or I'm good at sports or the the thing uh, that's true about me physically, but there's also these innate like personality things that are formed throughout our lives and you kind of touched that and yeah. and I think as a maybe for our listener today and what I'm hoping to engage with on Sunday is there's so much pain and um, negative outcome that can come from living in the reality of something that's not true. Yeah. Like I'm so, unlovable. Yes. Yes. Uh -huh. So, and I hear something early on in my life and I, and, and the real damage comes when I begin to be convinced of its validity, it becomes true for me. And then mm -hmm. this interesting thing happens that whether it's true or not, I live into it. 
you know, and I, I think I, I have conversations with a lot of people who live in that place where they've lived with some kind of falsehood for so long that it's become their truth and it, it is, it has formed how they then live life. Right. So, um, I'm unlovable. They hear that truth long or they hear that lie long enough. It becomes their truth. And then it plays out in the way they exist in relationships. So I can't be in relationship with anybody. It's hopeless from the beginning. I'm worthless. So therefore I treat my body and my, I treat myself in terms of being worthless. So I have very little care about what I engage in in life. I have very little care about the decisions I make about other people. Uh, I begin to extend I'm worthless to the people around me because I think a lot of our, um, coping mechanism is to extend the pain that we've experienced onto others. Uh, I, I think it'd be, it'd be neat to hear you talk a little bit of not neat. Neat is a terrible word. It would be helpful for neat. you. It'd be neat. <laughs> where, where the heck did that come from? It'd be helpful for you to talk a little bit just about um, just that reality of, of when we, a lie forms in our lives, we believe it becomes true just that reality of living in the midst of that. Right. And well, and it's interesting you call it a lie because, uh, I think it can, uh, man, it, it can, it can be true on some level, but hmm. it, it perhaps not be like ontologically. And by that, I mean like deep down into our person, it can be a lie. Yeah. Right. So what I mean by that is, you know, say, you know, in your family situation, it might be deeply true that you're unlovable. Um, and, and you have to, you have to orient yourself to that because otherwise you're going to be in more pain given your parental context or something. Um, so that, that might be something that becomes a part of your identity because it is very true in the immediate environment you're living in. Mm. But then, like you said, that, you know, that way of living becomes, uh, primary to us. You know, we're, uh, our, our minds and bodies are like, it takes a lot of energy to run this machine, right? And so uh, our our bodies don't like to waste that energy and our mind doesn't like to waste the energy. So we like to optimize and make things habitual, okay? And so what will happen is the pattern I have in relating in my family environment becomes a pattern that I replay with other people. Um, I and, and I will, because that narrative is central, I will actively look for aspects of the current relationship that fit that narrative and confirm it. And you'll find some um, because relationships are really complex. And so you'll find some in your brain and it, not like consciously find it more unconsciously find it. And it will lock into the ways that you feel. And then you'll behave in ways in response to that, that would have worked in your family situation, like to retreat and assume that no one cares about you if you're trying to build a loving relationship with somebody that's not like whoever those people were, for example, they might want to approach you in your pain and then you retreat and say, Oh, you don't care. Leave me alone. And maybe their initial response to that is to try to fight through that and hang in there with you. But if they get that enough, they're going to back away and say, well, okay, then never mind. I guess you don't want me to, which would then confirm the identity which is that I'm unlovable. Here's another person that is leaving me. Um, and it's, it's mixed up in this complicated, you know, 
replay of past and present. And like I said, it's not usually conscious. It's usually happening below the surface, but it, it happens to us. I mean, I can think of stories in my own life from, you know, identity stories where, you know, like a, a narrative around having to be perfect or having to do things on my own uh, resulted in, you know, like an example here in my office is, you know, the first couple of years I worked here, uh, my office mates would complain about not really knowing me that well. Yeah, because I would always have my door closed, um, and you know that that was that that's rooted in some replay of history. Not because I didn't trust them or like them, it was just habitual. Um, and I'm getting feedback of like, "Hey, we'd like to know you more." And it's like, "Oh, <laughs> whoops, I'm kind of doing the same old thing," you know, and that makes it hard for people to get to know me and be closer to me. Um, it's it's rooted in some you know some stories and narratives um, that that uh, that are part of my you know, that were part of my identity. Now I think where you're going maybe in your, in your, in your sermon and preaching is, well, how do we experience transformation of that? Because if, if it's deeply a lie that I'm unlovable, you know, if, if we believe that you're made in the image of God and uh, God made you with a purpose and that you are loved by cosmic creator or on a practical level, it's possible that you would be loved by other humans that are more decent than perhaps the people that were with you, then this, this identity needs to shift to be more based on something true, like deeply true. Yeah. And I think that's the challenge. And I, just jumping back real quick to your kind of story of the door thing. It's, it's interesting yeah. that that was, that was a part of your, your, um, your identity as perceived by others. But from your perspective, it was, you didn't even think about it. You just shut your door. Right. It was like a part of your normal life. Yet the world around right. you was, was trying to press in this identity of you. You aren't, um, you know, available mm-hmm. to be known. It uh-huh. wasn't a, a present reality. Like you weren't shutting your door to keep people out necessarily. No, and that's why you said became it aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an interesting, I think we do that in a lot of ways in life where we, we habitually live certain ways. And, and that's, that's an example where we need the feedback from people around us. But I, I think we struggle as humans though. And that story maybe will connect us to what you were kind of saying that you called it this ontological identity, right? Mm-hmm. The problem becomes like in that example, you habitually shut the door. People mm-hmm. perceive that you're not knowable or that they don't know you very well. And that maybe I don't want them. To maybe know. you don't want to be known. So you keep people at a distance. Mm-hmm. That's not who you are, but it's kind of when you first come into contact with that reality, right? Yeah, you right. first come into contact with a coworker who says, man, it's hard to get to know you. What's going on with that? You know, uh-huh. you always keep your door closed. There's a there's like a decision point for you where you can either encounter that from a helpful way. Oh, well, I want to I want to be known. That's not who I am. I open my door or you can take it in as a fence and say, oh, man, what the heck's that about? Why the why do they see me? And it like starts to kind of seep its way into something deeper than just this surface level interaction. Does that make sense? And oh, I wonder how it, we know yeah. the difference and maybe how do we engage something like that but, and not no, let I, it seed itself into our lives. I see this a lot when I work with, I see this a lot when I work with couples too, because some of these narratives, um, when, when they're beginning to be opened up or presented as feedback, 
and usually an initial response is a fear that it's an indictment of me as a person that I'm failing. And, and like you said, it might poke at some other identity issue, like I'm a failure or, um, you know, something's wrong with me, something like that, that then I defend against that pretty strongly. Like I, I really don't want that to be true. So I'll fight against it mm. and maybe turn and attack you or something like that. Um, and, and the biggest challenge is shifting to openness, right? Like, I want to be open to what you have to say and trust that you aren't trying to hurt me with this information. Um, and I, I think that's true with God too, um, uh, with spirituality. Like I'm afraid that if I open myself up to spirituality, um, I'm going to be utterly condemned and it's going to ruin me. Um, and there's no hope. And I think that's a common fear uh, in opening up to something like this. And I think that comes from, and I'm, I'm, talking about this on Sunday a little bit. I'm going to read you one of my points, actually, because I'm curious Ooh, your interaction. I'm like, you use, use my guinea pig. <laughs> but I but I think that fear of being seen and being judged to be, I think the reality of it is we're, we're afraid we're going to be judged to be exactly who we know ourselves to be in that moment. Uh, like if somebody really uh, sees me, they're just going to validate that who I believe myself to be is actually uh, true which yeah. removes hope from me. It says, I, I, I just am who I've always thought I am. And, yeah. and that, that reality is, is so deeply toxic because it, I, I believe it keeps us when we remove hope from the equation. And, and this is especially true, I think in terms of identity, because they're, they're like you kind of said, identity is very complex, but uh, um, most people I would think, uh, or I, in my experience, most people just see identity as just, this is who I am. You know, it's very mm -hmm. difficult to think about identity in terms of I can change or it can be altered. It's uh, just seated in, this is who I am. Still so much good stuff coming ahead on this episode of Staring Into the Sun. Rob and I love connecting with what connects to you. Find us on social media. You can also send us an email at staringintothesunpodcast at gmail.com and let us know what's on your heart and mind. It would help others find us if you would subscribe today. And if, if you haven't already, you can leave a review or rating. We are so grateful for all of you who take the time to listen and stare into the sun with us each week. All right, it's time again. Let's jump back into the conversation. So I'm, I have this point that I'm, and I'm curious what you think about it. It says, many times we fail to be made new because we can't imagine that anything new is possible. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, I'm interested in just, number one, why do, why do you think as a psychologist that we get to that place where we just... And have you experienced that with people before? And, and how do we, how do we maybe move from that reality to imagining again that something could change in my life? Do you have anything that comes to mind or that you would say oh, in that experience? If you feel stuck, uh, I guess basically this yeah. is being stuck. How do you help someone who's stuck in their identity to maybe move towards being unstuck? Hmm. Well, I, I was resonating with the story. It made me think of, um, Cain and Abel's story. And how, you know, when, when we get, I think we're afraid that we're going to get the answer from God, that your sacrifice is unacceptable. I will not take it. Um, and we see that he'll take someone else's that's appealing. Um, and it, it's really, it's really scary to think that, uh, something about me that would be unacceptable truly, um, because we're, we're afraid that would ruin us. 
right? And I think that where where we get stuck in, I see this. An example would be with with couples a lot, where where they're afraid to ask the questions that they most need the answers to, which mm-hmm. is, you know, how do you feel about me? Um, they most want to know it but they're so afraid of it because there's so much mess in between it that they're afraid the answer is going to be, you know what? Yeah, I actually, I don't care about you anymore. But what I can usually tell when people come into the office and sit and they fight with anger, like, Oh, there's so much passion here because you care so much. Like the answer has to be, I love you (laughs) like (laughs) easy. (laughs) Um, you're, you're, you're paying me decent money to come have me help you. And you come regularly, like you, you could be doing lots of other stuff. And so, but we're, I think we're really afraid that the answer is your, your sacrifice is unacceptable. Um, and, and the road after that is pretty ugly. Um, now we have an opportunity if, you know, to, to transcend, but oftentimes we choose to, you know, to kill our brother, right? Like to take somebody else out with us if we're going down and, and, and that's usually because we become bitter and hateful and resentful and all those things, which come with, um, you know, come with painful things. Um, but your question of how do we shift out of it? Man, it takes so much courage. I think I think of Cain and and you know G- God is saying, "Hey, I'm, I, it's it's crouching to devour you, and I'm right. Essentially, I'm right here to help you transcend this." And the belief that there's someone like God or a person that would be willing to love me and help me transcend whatever this pain is uh, takes massive amounts of courage. Um, and so how do we step out of it, man? That's, that's a deep question. Cause that, that's, I mean, that's what I do all the time is help people figure out how they find their courage, um, and how they find hope. Um, man, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious what you see. I'm, I need to think about yeah. that a bit more to conceptualize it. Well, and part of my, my context too, is I'm at the story of Mary and Judas, you know, and if if you, if you kind of trace back their, their stories and we don't have, we don't know a lot about Judas other than the character that he reveals as betrayer and thief and those kind of things that is just, he's broken like everybody else um, in, in all these stories. And then you have Mary's story. And if you trace her back and there's a lot of conversation around who Mary really is, right? Um, I'm kind of coming at it from the sense that Mary, Mary of Bethany is Mary Magdala. They're the one mm-hmm. and the same people. And because we have lots of uh, information about Mary's backstory, Mary of Magdala, right? So she's the, the prostitute who was um, mm-hmm. standing in before the being stoned and yeah. Jesus enters in. And so her life is a complete mess and she's lived what we talked about here, right? She's had all kinds of experiences that are mm-hmm. pressing in, speaking into her identity, right? You're worthless. You don't matter. You, and your likely traumatic experience oh, and in, in, injustice as a woman uh, in the ancient world, right? Finding herself in that circumstances. Certainly. And here, and here's this moment though, where Jesus enters in uh, with, without, and this is interesting to our conversation. And I think it, it's this place of spirituality where it enters in and we find ourselves needing something outside of our own ability to find our way to a new identity right. because here's Jesus. He enters into the story and he speaks value to her where she's never had value. He hmm. saves her life. He sees who she is and, and invites her and says, now go, he says, go sin no more. What, what that is, is an invitation to go, I believe, live in a, an entirely new way. 
he he mm. gives her this picture of uh, he kind of reimagines her life and saying you no longer have to live in this reality of impending death and sin and brokenness mm. victimization all those things i'm going to i rescue you from that i see you as someone outside of those definitions mm. by the very fact that i'm rescuing you says i see you differently than the rest of the world sees you and i believe jesus he enters into our lives and and speaks truth in this ontological tr- identity, he speaks into her, which com- radically changes the way she lives her life from that point forward. And, you know, fast forward, we find her at the feet of Jesus pouring out this pound of pure nard, which is like worth a, a year's worth of wage. It was this, it was this extra- extravagant gift. Mm. And so my main idea on Sunday is that I, I believe in this thing. When we encounter extraordinary grace upon our lives, it, it, plays out in a life of extravagant generosity. So there's this out. So she's living in this new reality of this new identity that is remarkable. So well, there's something and, and in that change that is pretty well, cool. I, it, yeah. And a sign of it, we've talked about this before, a sign of that change is openness and creativity, yes, right? She's, she's yeah. living creatively, but I think the way I would put it in, in my terms, uh, psychological terms would be something like when, when, our identity can change when we engage in uh, like truthful, transformative relationships and they, they need to be radically transformative. So when you talk about somebody's encounter with God, I think a way of thinking about that without spiritual language is something like, you know, you, you take the ideal relationship, right? Like if, if you were to cobble together the best humans in all of history as far as being loving and truthful and all of the best virtues, right? If you were to like amalgam those together into the peak person to have a connection with, to help you see who you are and to help you uh, pursue being a better you, uh, that would be something like God or Jesus, right? And so a lot of times in the absence of real humans, which is, I think, when I think of therapy and what I think we need in community as a faith community as well is we need, you know, this, you know, God's relationship to us incarnated in other humans, right? We need to pursue this, but I think that's where identity starts to shift. It's where I see it shift in my office is where you encounter some radically different relational experience Mm. where someone is willing to be truthful with you and also love you. And I think that's the place where um, like, the heart can be softened to open up because it requires openness and, and creativity, like an open-handed receiving that is really courageous to be able to consider something different about me. And I, I think that happens in a, like a radically like loving and truthful relationship that we get with other people. And ultimately we get most like, uh, most ideally with with God because God would be the ideal right that's what yeah. that's what God is it, it, it's interesting uh, what I was thinking about when you're talking about there is that in relationship we, when we when we experience a relationship where we are are accepted completely first disconnected from the reality of of how you've lived your life before but but then we're also led into a place of of intentional transformation that happens because we can in in complete acceptance i can i can Mm. speak authentically about who i am without fear of what 
how it might be received. You know, and yeah. Jesus with Mary, he, I mean, he, he played that out in, an ex, in a beautiful picture, right? He accepted her unconditionally. I, you are loved, you're valued, and that's not connected to who you've been and what you've done. But then he speaks to her truly about leading her in, mm-hmm. like inviting her into transformation and says, go live a new way. Now, because all, all these things that you've done and been were true, were a part of your experience. Now, go live differently, though, because mm. who you are is not connected to what you've done. And mm-hmm. it, I think there's something yeah. really cool there that you're hitting yeah. on that com- happens in authentic. Yeah, community. because, it, you know, th- there's a reason why why uh, Stuart Smalley is joking on SNL when he says, you know, the affirmations. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like me. It It's I mean, it is something to say it and to think it. But it has to be rooted in an experience in life. Like we, we are not just a mind, you know, set apart from our bodies. Um, now, discipline in your mind is useful, but it, it needs to be integrated with your body and with your emotions. And what better place to do that than in a relationship? Now, that makes it really dangerous because in relationship, you can be devastated and hurt again. Um, but it also has the potential to transform how you think and how you feel about yourself through the experience. Um, so that's why I lean towards relationship because it, it captures the thinking and the feeling and the doing that captures what makes us people, humans, minds, bodies, souls together, right? And what, what does the scripture say? Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Like loving is a full, you know, full human experience. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm. So let's say somebody's listening today, you're out there, you're listening to us today and you're, you, you are jiving with this identity thing, you know, and uh, I wonder if we just speak a little practical um, stuff into people's lives here a little bit, Rob, of, you know, you're struggling, you've had formational things happen in your life, you've believed who you are, maybe you, you kind of connect with that idea that you, you can't, you can't imagine anything new about yourself. How would, how would a person find their way to safe conversation or safe relationship and to find their way to talk to someone who might be able to help them reimagine who they are and who they could be. Wow. I mean, that that's challenging. Um, uh, honestly, um, because even if you were to say, you know, pursue a pastor at a church or a therapist at a practice, um, they're, they're filled with humans and, and you might get someone who's not trustworthy or not authentically loving and also your own internal, like, radar for safe people might not be functioning super well. Um, so I, uh, that, I need to be more hopeful here, um, but Paul I, Rob I, wanna, Gibson. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I want to be truthful. Um, yeah, right. but, but I think where I would start is, you know, committing to committing to yourself and seeking out people who tell the truth, um, in, in as like as many areas of life as possible. Um, because if someone's committed to telling the truth, that takes a lot of character and a lot of love to be willing to tell the truth. Now, I'm not talking about like kind of uh, the the ruthless ways we do that. Of like, well, you know, you, you need to hear the truth and that's all there is about it. It's like, well, that's not all the truth. The truth is also that you're a, you're a struggling, broken person that needs my love and compassion. And if I'm a truth teller, I would also say that. Um, so I think that's a place to start is seeking out places where or seeking out a person that's been really truthful with you in a kind way and asking asking their advice about, you know, 
you know, is there somebody, you know, that I could see, um, you know, there, there are, there are good therapists, there are good pastors, there are good friends, there are good churches, but there it's, we're intermingled. We're all humans and, and it's messy. Um, but I think that's a good place to start is to look for truth tellers, um, that are fully, you know, as fully as possible truth telling, because they'll also be loving as they do it. Um, and I think that's a good place to start for taking the step of being more open and take a graduated step of being open with a friend or a therapist or a pastor. Take a small one, not everything, just part of it. And then watch what they do. You know, do they, do they only soothe you and not give you feedback or do they only give you harsh feedback and not give you compassion? You know, th those are things to watch for. And I think that can help you then know, okay, do I take another step? Um, but I would hesitate to just say, oh, go see a therapist or go see a pastor because it might not it, it just depends. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I thought that was really helpful and practical advice. You know, take a step. Uh, so yeah. the the answer also isn't don't take any step because you distrust yeah. everything. And a lot of times distrust comes from uh, a broken image, a broken identity and where you, you don't have a healthy view of yourself. It can be you can be in a place of distrust yeah. from a lot of people. Yeah. And it is we do want to encourage you to to take a and I think that's a good a gradual step and what find would be someone a spiritual step someone could So take? I, I was actually going to kind of go a different route I I, huh. I think because you kind of covered taking those gradual steps I think sometimes uh -huh. from a spiritual perspective we just we need to hear something new about who we are ontologically and we uh -huh. need to we need we need to be able to reimagine who God sees us to be um, a, a book that I've read that has been deeply formational in my own life in respect to this is by, um, uh, I believe he was a Catholic priest, Henry Nowen. Uh, he wrote a book yeah. called life of the beloved. Yeah. I've read Harvard it. Professor as well. Yeah. G wonderful, beautiful yeah. man written wonderful things, but that book, book in again? particular life of the beloved by Henry Nowen. We'll put it in the show notes today. It's not a real long read, but I have read it so many times. And each time I do, it, it's just like sitting with someone who's, who is speaking into your life about who God thinks you are, hmm. not connected to who you've been, you know, and, and I, I really do believe that a lot of times we get into this rut where we, we believe who we've been is who we are uh. and who we will be. And, and I think God in that relationship can help us step out of that rut and step out of that that rhythm that we have as humans to to see and hear something new about yeah. ourselves and that book in particular really helped me beautiful. take some steps in that way yeah so beautiful good stuff what a great convo great, today man. Yeah. yeah your yeah. your identity you. as a person we're well, thanks Thank thanks you, so much for listening yeah it's been good yeah, thank you so much, listener, for joining us. And uh, we, again, remind you, uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, uh, subscribe and um, share with other people uh, at your church or in your community, uh, your friends. And then also feel free to reach out to us uh, on, on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Robert Gibson, but we also share on uh, at Staring Into the Sun podcast. So uh, check us out there, engage with us, and then join us again next time as we continue staring into the sun grace and peace everybody the way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun, sun.